The word that I want to draw to your attention is found here in verse 36. Notice the last few words of this verse, words that we are deeply familiar with. Notice these words in particular. All these things are against me. All these things are against me. And from this verse, I want to preach when everything seems to go wrong. When everything seems to go wrong. Uh, Poor Jacob was in a very bad way. The circumstances of life were closing in upon him. He really felt at the end of his teller. He was almost at the point of deep despair in his experience. When you think of his life, you think of the family issues that he's had for some considerable time. And then, in addition to that, let's think about the issues arising due to the famine that was in the land at this particular time as well. His sons had just returned from Egypt, for they had gone there to get some provisions, to get some food. There they had encountered a very stern governor of the land. They didn't know, of course, that it was Joseph. They didn't recognize him. Joseph had not revealed himself to them uh, as he will do later on. There they had encountered this man who had asked them many personal questions about Jacob's family, especially about his youngest brother, Benjamin. When Joseph left, Benjamin probably was a lot of about five. There was a close attachment that the same mother and so Joseph felt the loss acutely. Semen had been retained as hostage by the governor of the land and Jacob feared that he would never see him again. And the word from Egypt was very clear. Bring Benjamin the next time with you. If you don't there will be no supplies provided for you. So the future looked very bleak and the outcome was grim. And at this particular point, the sad old man uttered these now famous words. It's in the form of a lament. You can see him, well advanced in years, with a heart broken. And he says, all these things are against me. Actually, things were not really as bad as Jacob thought. And how often that is the case with us as individuals. There are always plenty of things to, uh, that seem to be against us. But in reality, these things are blessings in disguise. We may not fully understand exactly what, what's going on at the time. But obviously a sovereign God, a providential God, has a reason for it. We may not be able to grasp it and see the end from the beginning. But there's got to be a reason, and I think that reason is that we might learn to trust him more and more. And anything that is going to cause us to trust him more and more has to be beneficial. It has to be. Now, the three very simple things I want you to notice with me from this text tonight. First of all, there is the circumstances Jacob recalled. He says, all these things. Now, what what things... Is he talking about here? We've got to understand this, that Jacob had a very checkered life. He had a very troublesome life. He had many trials and difficulties. He made many mistakes. 
But I do believe that he was really reaping the harvest of younger years. I really do believe that is the case here. And much of uh, what he experienced was caused by himself and because of his own wrongdoing. And I do believe that it all started when he deceived his father Isaac and when he cheated his brother Esau out of the birthright. You can read that in Genesis chapter 27. And in more recent times, Joseph was gone. Jacob felt that, uh, or he believed that Joseph had been torn to pieces by a wild animal, Genesis chapter 37. Reuben, his eldest son, was disgraced. And you read history there in chapter 35 of Genesis, and it makes very sad reading. Then Judah, he had been dishonored, Genesis chapter 38. And then their only sister, a girl called Dinah, she had been defiled at Shechem. And her two brothers, Simeon and Levi, had carried out revengeful murders and retaliation for what had happened to their sister Dinah. And you read that very sad story in Genesis chapter 34. And we all have chapters like this, sad chapters in our life's experience. Then, in more recent times, just recently, Simeon found himself in prison. Jacob's mother, Rachel, and his father, Isaac, were dead. The famine threatened the family. And then came the demand that Benjamin must appear before the governor or no supplies would be released unto the family. And it's at this point, at this juncture, that Jacob wept, and this is what he said, Me have ye bereaved of my children, Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take away Benjamin. All these things are against me, the things that I've mentioned. But how wrong he was. These things were working for his good, as the end of the story proved, but at that particular point of time, he was not privy to that. He was not aware of that. So he had to wait to the end of the story. And last time I preached on the words from Psalm 105, verse 17, he sent a man before them. God was at work, you see. And God had sent a man before the son that he thought was dead to be a blessing to him when he went down into the land of Egypt. So all these things, just to recap again, Joseph has been gone for years. Simeon is now, at the present time, detained in Egypt. His sons now want to take Benjamin to travel with them down to the land of Egypt. He has got to be with them when they appear before the governor of the land. Now, we must never be lose sight of this, that God was using these things to teach and to shape Jacob. He'd been placed in the school of adversity for a reason, that God might cut and polish this jewel. Now, the only crushed grapes can produce the wine of joy. And the broken alabaster box shed the perfume of the spikenard, 
and filled the house of Mary with fragrance. It had to be the broken box. And the cut diamond sparkles with new luster. So God is dealing with a servant. He's working with a servant. He's recalling these things, but unawares to him, that's what God is really doing. God is pruning him and shaping him and blessing him. So when you think of the story, there is the family problem. Then there is the famine problem. And then, of course, there is the faith problem. So having learnt of his son's experiences in Egypt, the detention of Simeon, and the demand by the Egyptian official to see Benjamin, just then he uttered these words, all these things are against me. That brings me on then to the second point, another very simple thought, the conclusion Jacob reached. So we have the circumstances he recalled, and now we have the conclusion he reached. All these things are against me. That's what he thought. That's the conclusion he reached. And I suppose in Jacob's case, it was a very plausible verdict or conclusion that he came to. But it was sad and it was a faithless outburst. When, as a simple fact, all these things were definitely and directly in his favor. He concluded, for example, that Joseph was dead, when in actual fact he was alive. He thought that he had died years before, but he was the prime minister in the land of Egypt. He concluded that Simeon would die in Egypt, but he didn't die in Egypt. He was perfectly safe there because the governor, the prime minister of the land, had given him security. He concluded that taking Benjamin would be a loss to him forever, but he never lost Benjamin. He was concluding, he was uh, coming to this conclusion, apart from faith. This was a fleshly assessment of the situation he found himself in, and he foolishly concluded everything was against him. And there are moments in all of our lives as believers when the thoughts of Jacob are mirrored in our own hearts. Why has God permitted this to happen? Why am I compelled to uh, tread this path of woe, this path of sorrow, this path of difficulties? We think of the words of the psalmist, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Have we said that? Have we uttered that down through the years at times? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Maybe as a congregation we're asking the question, why? Why are we not far more advanced in our search for a pastor? All of these things might be appearing to be against us, but God has a purpose, God has a reason. So Jacob, Jacob's diagnosis of the situation was entirely wrong. These things were not against the family at all. These things were working for the benefit of the family. If pruning was necessary, God was going to do it. If dealing in this way, disciplining and chastening was necessary to bring about the perfect man, God was going to do it. And maybe that's the way God is working in the congregation as well. Shining, cutting away, chastening, if you like, by the passing of time, 
causing God's people to be more fervent in prayer at the throne of grace, to be more focused on the object that we have before us, getting a man of God's choice to be the under-shepherd here in the congregation. So let us encourage ourselves that God knows what he's about. We may not know where we're at at this point of time. The session may not know exactly where uh, we're at or where we should go in the days to come. But the Lord knows the end from the beginning. And if our hearts are right with God, the Lord will give that guidance in his own due course and his own good time. That, that's it. This is faith. This is a testing time. There's no doubt about it. But we must keep faith in God and trust in God, believing that he knows what he's doing, even at times when we don't necessarily know what we're doing. He's in control of every situation. So the exact opposite was taking place. God was working behind the scenes. God was bringing to pass his eternal purpose, not the way Jacob wanted it to come to pass. But God was in control, and the loving Heavenly Father, uh, his hand was upon the whole situation for good. God's never failing providence was at work, was as much at work at this point in Jacob's life as it had been in his earlier days during his checkered history. He's looking at things that are seen rather than things that are unseen. He's walking by sight. He's not walking by faith. It does not seem to occur to him that God might have a wise purpose. And all of these events, and if we look at the whole situation in our own context, in that light, God has a purpose in these events. He judged things by feeble sense. But this was just another thread in God's purpose for the good of Israel. Another link, if you like, in the wonderful chain of divine providence. His diagnosis of the situation was entirely wrong. So we've looked at these two simple things. The circumstances Jacob recalled, the conclusion uh, Jacob reached, and then finally, this is the, the part I want to get to, the comfort Jacob received. So we have presented to this, this false assessment of the true situation. All things were not against him, actually. Despite his faults and his fears and his weakness, the Lord was working on his behalf and for his benefit. That's the thing. They were onward steps in the process by which he was to recover his long-lost son. Jacob never thought about that. It never crossed his mind. Joseph is dead. There's no possibility of seeing him again. Simeon might be dead soon. I might never see Benjamin again. But God was working behind the scenes to bring to pass this, this great event, this reunion between the old aged father of 130 years of age and Joseph, his long lost son, the well-beloved, the darling of his bosom, the favorite, if you like. God was controlling the circumstances and he was in the process of moving Jacob and his family to Egypt to preserve the promised seed of the woman. That's God's plan at this time. The seed of the woman mentioned there in Genesis chapter 3. And I, I, I said maybe before that God brought the people to the best of the land because the best part of Egypt was Goshen. That's where Jacob and the family settled down. 
God only has the best in store for his people. When the prodigal returned home, I said, that's probably too. The father put on him the best robe. And when Jesus performed the first miracle there in Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2, the governor said, oh, you've kept the best wine till now. And maybe that's why we're waiting. God wants to give us the best wine. We've got to look at things in this light. Don't despair. We need to keep calm and cool and reflect on the glory of God and look to the Lord to lead and to guide us in the days to come. Not long after this, Jacob does not continue in this uh, state for much longer. The next recorded thing about him is revealing a better spirit. In chapter 43, their father said unto them, go again, buy us a little food, okay. But now the difficulty presents itself. Jacob's sons could not go down to Egypt unless Benjamin accompanied them. And this, as far as he was concerned, was the last thing Jacob wanted to do or consent to. There was a great struggle going on in his mind and in his heart. What shall I do? And Judah, he steps up and he offers to stand surety for his younger brother. And Jacob reluctantly agrees to that situation. So after arranging every means, and this is what he wanted, I want you boys to take every means to conciliate the governor of Egypt. Take stores, take something with you, take a gift to him, and so on. But you've, you've got to go there and you've got to make sure that you don't do anything to antagonize him. And then he committed the whole issue to God in prayer. He says, take also your brother and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your brother and Benjamin. And if I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And he speaks here of God Almighty. God Almighty or the God that is the sufficient one. This was a name under which Abraham was blessed in Genesis 17.1. It was the name used by Isaac in blessing Jacob. God Almighty bless thee. And in using this name, <clears throat> Jacob rests on the covenant promise and the blessing of God. So here now, he was exercising faith. It was a prayer of faith. So in unbelief, he says, all these things are against me. He couldn't see and understand the leading of God. He couldn't discern the way God was leading in his life. But now things are beginning to change. He gets his eyes upon God Almighty, the sufficient one. He is the sufficient one. We've got to get our eyes on him tonight, men and women. Our eyes on Christ, far above preachers and men, and get our eyes on him, the Almighty God of heaven who has a purpose, who has a plan for this congregation. We may not understand it, we may not be able to see it, but it's the true as the God of heaven overruled in all of these circumstances in Jacob's life. So he is overruling in all of our circumstances to accomplish his divine purpose for the glory of the Son. This was all happening for the glory of the Son because Jacob was going to be reunited with the well-beloved Son. And if we take Joseph to refer or point us to Jesus, it's all for the glory of the Son. God Almighty will intervene for the glory of his 
son. And we can see here the spirit uh, that Jacob showed at this time, the spirit of resignation. If I be bereaved, I am bereaved. He resigns himself to the purpose of God. He hands everything into the hands of God. And he just says, thy will be done. And that's where we've got to leave it, men and women. Got to leave it with the Lord. Leave it in the hands of God. And just leave it there before the mercy seat. And then the spirit of Jacob revived. And... uh, the news that the boys brought back from Egypt. Ah, Joseph is alive. In fact, he's the governor of the land. He's the one who spoke roughly to us. He's the one who inquired about you. He's the one who inquired about Benjamin, his younger brother. It's him, it's it's Joseph. Ah, the old man almost took a heart attack. That's a sense of he fainted. He almost took a heart attack. And the spirit of Jacob was revived. And he says, I will go and see him before I die. And you will notice when you read this for yourself, the change from Jacob to Israel, especially as this is carried through to the next verse, chapter 46, verse 1. And Israel took his journey. Not Jacob. Jacob was the old twister. The the fleshly man. Now it's, it's Israel, the prince with God. Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices. So we can see the new man walking here. The first thing he does, he gets back to the sacrifice. And after all those years of discipline and all the problems that he met in life, he'd learnt even from that to put God first eventually. It took a long time for that to happen. But that's what he's doing now. He's putting God first. And he's offering the sacrifice that was required. And he's going to see Joseph. It's often difficult to see how dark days can ever be a blessing. But he's able to make even the greatest tragedy a basis for blessing for those who trust in him. The principle is illustrated here in the story of Jacob. And despite his faults and his fears, God was working on his behalf and for his benefit. And one author said, Dark clouds carry great showers. Jacob's God is alive today. And in the case of Joseph, remember what he said to his brethren? God meant it for good. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. Listen, we have a loving Father in glory who not only cares for us individually but collectively as the church of Jesus Christ. Do you think God will forsake us? Do you think he's going to disappoint us and let us down? I don't think so. I'm convinced when I read stories like this, and stories like this are in the Bible for that reason, to teach us to trust him more and more. Let's get in the stretch for God. Let's ever remember every day, take time every day to pray for this congregation. Pray that God will answer prayer. God will send us a man of his choosing. Let's pray to that end get before the face of God and not fall by the wayside into despair the way Jacob felt at the start of the story. Always different man at the end of the story because looking back he can see the providential care of God just like beginning at the end of the Hebrew Bible and reading backwards. That's the way we've got to interpret providence. 
as we stand here and look back and we can see the providence of God. We might not see it looking forward at the minute, but on reflection, when we look back, we'll be able to say in days to come, God planned it this way. God planned it this way. And so there are three simple things here. The circumstances, Jacob recalled all these things. The conclusion reached there against me. But then the comfort he received, God was on the throne. God took a venue with him. And God had a reason to move them down into the land of Egypt so that Jacob might see the beloved son. The Lord wants to get us to see Jesus tonight. He wants us to get to the cross to see him. So keep your focus there tonight as we come to pray. Seek the Lord together. Let's bow for prayer. Our brother Andrew Lyndon, if he would lead us, please. Thank you, Andrew. Let's all wait on the Lord and then when our brother does pray and, and keep this matter before us once again in the public prayer meeting, the need for a pastor, please. Our brother Lyndon, thank you.